Kim Vudin. Welcome to Milo's Music Parlor, a live music speakeasy and podcast show brought to you by Milo Records New Orleans and itsneworleans.com. Every week we bring to you in our live audience a taste of the musicians who shape the New Orleans music landscape, from the living legends to the young upstarts to those burgeoning national and international acts making the extra effort to stop here in New Orleans, all of whom are performing live music to enjoy the rich musical history of the city that continues to inspire and influence musicians everywhere. Milo's Music Parlor is a member of the family of shows on the podcast network, itsneworleans.com. from Tessology Art and Music Cafe here on O.C. Haley Boulevard in the heart of Central City neighborhood. Today we're joined by Aurora Neeland and her solo project called Monocle. You may know her as the lead rose of Aurora Neeland and the Royal Roses, one of New Orleans preeminent interpreters of, and performers of traditional New Orleans jazz music. As if that weren't enough, Aurora performs in at least three other bands and a score of other musical projects, often including international musicians from places as far-flung as Pakistan and India. She's also written and directed three theater pieces and has studied with composers from Oberlin to Paris. Oh, and don't forget the Sound Observatory of New Orleans project, an artist-in-residency space she is developing from scratch in a formerly blighted New Orleans shotgun home. Tonight, we're lucky enough to have her here on Milo's Music Parlor to perform works from her monocle project and talk to us about her plans to take on the world. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kim. This is a lot of fun. I, you know, it, it is true. I think a lot of people know you for the Royal Roses and are in love with you from that alone. And then you have this crazy, wacky, totally stimulating project. Yeah. What was the, what was the impetus for this? This is clearly not something you just kind of dreamed of overnight. So take us through the process of being Miss Aurora and coming up with stuff like that? Um, what was the impetus? Well, I um, have always been really interested in sound. So, um, s sound as a vehicle for message, I guess. So I, um, before I moved to New Orleans, I did a lot of composition and um, really studied and wrote a lot of sort of um, sonic Soundscapes. That's what you studied at Oberlin, correct? Mm-hmm. I, I studied, a con it was called contemporary music, so it was a combination of composition and art installation and um, some jazz studies. Oh, interesting. And there was a, it was sort of a, a smattering of things, so. It's, it, but the school's known a lot for its classical programming. Definitely, yeah. You made a sharp left turn on that. I had a, um, Oberlin has a, a funny design your own major oh. option, so um, I was not, I was never, well trained enough to be 
in the like Oberlin classical route. You know, the 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 folks that goes there go there who are good friends of mine are they're like people that have been studying with a private teacher since they were three years old at Juilliard Prep and they're you know and I was much more, I grew up in a very hippie family. I didn't have private lessons before I went to Oberlin. And I was just like, I like sound. I like music. Hey. <laughs> and then I got there and I was like, oh, my God, these people are scary. I mean, they're brilliant and scary. Um, and so I. Even at 18. Oh, God. Like, I was so intimidated for like the first three and a half years until I figured out like, oh, it's all about your own personal journey. It's not about, you know, I was never going to be in an orchestra or anything. And I got really interested when I was at Oberlin um, in contemporary music and I was studying a lot um I was studying a lot of the music of sort of of Steve Reich and Philip Glass and Laurie Anderson certainly those are all like big influences on sort of what I wanted to do and I also became really interested in theater and installation work um so that's sort of where a lot of this music is coming out of is um that yeah the my kind of roots in being interested in kind of performance-ish art that came out of New York in the 80s and um, yeah, a lot of that. Stuff. So how does Sidney Bechet and your traditional repertoire fit in that? Um, that music, I just, I love that music. I mean, I had grown up being exposed to a, a lot of different kinds of music, I think, from what I understand later. Um, we had like Stravinsky records and we had Preservation Hall records when I was a kid and we had Barbara Streisand records yes. and um, yes, Barbara. Um, but I always loved that music. I mean, I remember seeing Preservation Hall jazz band. Um, they came to California like once a summer uh-huh. for festivals. And I remember seeing them when I was probably 11 and just being like, this is the best music ever. <laughs> When I first came to New Orleans, I didn't re- I didn't know how to play any of that music. I didn't even play saxophone that much when I first came to New oh, Orleans. Oh, really? Yeah. At Oberlin, I was playing a lot of piano and classical flute and um, just doing a lot of co- composing. So the Sidney Bechet stuff sort of comes out of like hearing that music from when I was younger and then really delving into listening and studying and playing the music here in New Orleans. Wow. So. Awesome. Yeah. So this Monaco project is sort of like... It came first. It came first a little bit, yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, it's a weird thing you do. And I was like, it's the weird thing I've always done. Just. I, I hate to break this to you, but someone called tonight. She organizes tours, and uh-huh. she wanted to know about tonight. And she's like, I have a busload of tours coming in. And they want to hear want a lot of... Yeah, and I'm like, this is equally awesome <laughs> to her to the royal roses but it's quite different yeah but it came first it's interesting it did yeah and theater you you've written productions i wrote um i've i've i never i wasn't not like a trained actor but i became really interested in theater from kind of from the angle of a composer so looking at philip glass's work laurie anderson's work you know like david dorfman dance and all kind of this really amazing 
music that was being tied into theater inst and installation. And so I kind of became interested in theater through the background of a composer. And um, actually, I moved to Paris for a year after Oberlin and studied at this school called um, the Jacques Lecoq, L'Ecole de Jacques Lecoq, du Théâtre Physical, which is like a physical theater school where a lot of really... Did you study in French? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a... It was, um, a it was a two-year program. I only went for one year, but it was all, all in French. Um, and it, a lot of um, sort of interesting artists that I really admired had gone through that training. And so I oh, interesting. Um, went there kind American of... American? Um, Julie Taymor went through there, and Jeffrey Rush, and Bill Irwin, who's oh, an amazing physical actor, and Ariana Mushkin, and um, a lot of just theater makers who made original work went through that training and so I got really excited about going through there um yeah I, what, what, oh, what was so the question your production was in oh yeah my production was um uh I did one production my my final year at Oberlin instead of doing a recital a lot of people do a junior recital and then a senior recital but instead I wrote a this play slash installation that was kind of installed in this arboretum in this big tree grove um and it was a piece sort of about how memory, how we create memories and how our memories create who we are. So it was kind of this cyclical piece about memory. And there was also a, a narrative. There was a narrative about a man who has a very specific memory of being able to fly when he was 10 years old. And it's a very like visceral specific memory that he has with his brother. And then his brother has died. His brother died when he was quite young. and. He doesn't really know how to reconcile that memory with not being able to have anyone physical being able to validate it. Did you, was that scripted in French or English? No, or? that was in English. That was while I was still at Oberlin. So that was before I moved to France. Uh -huh. um, so that involved like five actors and I wrote all the music. And so five actors and four musicians and then a lot of soundscape, electronic soundscapes. a side interest but an interest in um the mind and mm -hmm. you played a song earlier i can't recall the name about and it was an experience coming out of volunteering at a mental institute mm -hmm. can you share a little more about that sure yeah um i think i also think about the mind <laughs> quite a lot i think about it's annoying isn't it human perspective <laughs> and and sort of yeah it is annoying <laughs> mental health i i think a lot about mental health um i had a brother who was in that particular um, mental institution, which was why I was volunteering there, and I was 17 at the time, um, and he had been diagnosed, he was two and a half years older than me, and he had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, um, which is a challenging thing for a young man, I mean, for and anyone, right. um, but um, so, yeah, I guess I, I in this project, I, th I think I more than in any other project, I sort of like 
open up to exploring the many different perspectives of humanity as as like um ostentatious as that no as um whatever silly as that sounds um depends who's listening yeah it depends who's listening um yeah i i guess i just humans are so fragile you know and we kind of put up these walls because we have to the biochemical and the physiological and the, and the mind relationship yeah. i think is most exercise with people with mental health issues right and i honestly think everyone has mental health issues like mental health i really believe i mean when i first went to college i i sort of came out of that experience of of volunteering in this state institution and i came out with this very like young person's like kind of like anger about like how this was working in our society and I was like I'm gonna be a psychologist I'm gonna fix this and I took like psychology 101 at school and I was like oh I don't want to do this this is crazy (laughs) but I mean the dangerous thing I think I saw even at 17 at that a really young age where you you know I I saw a lot of diseases being treated but not people being Mm -hmm. treated so there's a lot of like diagnosis of like you have this chemical imbalance symptom control rather than underlying acknowledgement right underlying issue yeah because they're beneath that there's like humans with very different experiences and very different stories and they can't just be treated with drugs you know so um that song sort of came out of that and the piece was about a piano player but not your brother oh there's a lot of my brother Uh in there there's there's one particular I guess I say it's about that piano because there's one particular line there was a uh, he this particular piano player he had checked himself into the hospital which is kind of very rare but he kind of was having nervous breakdowns he was um, he was from Japan originally and then he had moved to California hmm. and was playing a lot but it was there was like just putting a lot of pressure on himself and I think it was a very fragile person also. Um, so there's one particular line. A lot of it is about my brother, but there's also one particular line that I always think of him when I play that piece. about mental stuff enough about that more about (laughs) mental stuff you're working on a piece I'm totally fascinated Um, it it sounds like you're waiting for some grants to determine Mm -hmm. whether you're gonna be able to go through with this but it's a piece involving female hysteria yeah it's um it's still at the very beginning stages I got a grant last summer from the um that it was called the distillery and it was a grant that was run through the New Orleans Contemporary Arts Center, the CAC, um, to begin developing. So it's a, it's a long process.
process. But my proposal was was to um, kind of write this multimedia operetta centered around the idea of female hysteria. So um, I worked on it last summer for three three-ish months and kind of did some short showings of works in progress that were just sort of like just getting the seeds. Um, but yeah, it's um, the idea is that sort of the female hysteria was a diagnosis that doctors could give up into the 1970s, actually, which is kind of crazy. So it's like uh, in in the early 1900s, there was a lot of like, oh, is your is your woman acting out? Is she <laughs> speaking out of turn? She must have female hysteria. You know, there's like all these really kind of crazy things about how we look at gender and how we look at typical female image. Um, Do you, the poet T.S. Eliot, mm -hmm. are you familiar with his wife's story? No. So uh, they were, everyone was convinced she was completely insane. And she'd went around town with a knife towards the end of her before she was institutionalized. And, and she was in there for a, a, a chunk of time, like a couple decades out, more than a decade. And, um, you know, science had evolved and she just had... Uh, hormone imbalance, like hormone right. like variation, and then it was kind of a simple like drug procedure after that to kind of mitigate the highs, highs, high highs, highs and low lows. lows. And she had like really extreme menstrual menstrual cycles, and it was really something physiological that she was her personality was characterized as failed rather than right. just a physiological. So I was curious as to whether that was exploring that yeah it's definitely exploring the sort of the clinical side of it so the, I, I'm about to go up to McDowell Colony which is an artist residency in New Hampshire I'm really excited to go for two weeks and sit alone in the cabin in the woods and just and, read a lot of these not be in like 110 degree yeah, not, humidity I mean I love is that New also Orleans. part of that that's also part of it I love New Orleans but also just given that I mean to be able to have someone give you a space where you're sort of like alone there's no internet there's some other artists there Alaska. but everyone's in hermit you know everyone's in mm -hmm. some tiny cabin working on their own weirdo thing and um so I'm about to go up there and, and sort of continue working on this but but definitely it it you know I'm sort of delving sort of going back and just delving into the um generating the material for it so it's a lot of like researching the actual diagnosis of female hysteria and then continuing forward to modern day of how we sort of continue even though it's not a a diagnosis anymore a clinical diagnosis anymore how we still sort of propagate that image in the media or in social media how we sort of propagate that image of women as hysterical or certain actions being hysterical I'm excited to see also the next step it sounds like you want to actually take this with other music female musicians on the road and work with other female musicians, young and old. Yeah, I, w I, w I, I would. Um, right now, the stuff that I did at the CIC, it was still sort of like a one-woman show, and I was just doing small small vignettes. Um, but yeah, that's the idea, is to, to be writing music. So the idea is it's sort of like an operetta in vignettes. And I, I don't know really how it's going to develop. I'm still like very open-minded about, like, I'm not really sure what it is, except for I'm sort of writing these chunks in these vignettes and I look at pieces like Einstein on the beach and it's of course not going to be as grandiose as Einstein on the beach but like I look at sort of how they move through a narrative and 
imagery and sound and sort of that's like in the back of my mind of how this on this not yet. not yet yeah it's still in the very generative phase but i would i would hope to eventually cool. yeah awesome uh i love when i looked at the list of music you listened to in high school it's, it's like Pixie, pixies who i love and they're coming here. i know they're here today <laughs> more later more later um stravinsky Okay. You're listening to Stravinsky and Tom Waits, Pearl Jam, Prez Hall, Peter Gabriel, Sonic Youth. Do you see yourself? I mean, where do you see Monocle and, and the Royal Roses fitting into the landscape of music? Do you want to be off the beaten path? Would you like to be able to expose yourself to as many people as possible all over the world? Oh, <laughs> pop song. Do you want to do you want to write a pop song? I do. I have written some pop songs. Um, I do. I mean, I would love to this project. It's interesting. I have started to do the Monaco music with a band. Oh, um, which has been What's the instrumentation um, right now. It's Cliff Hines, who is an amazing guitarist. Um, he does a lot of really beautiful sonic things with the guitar, atmospheric painting and is, is really brilliant. And um, Stephanie Nillis, who plays keyboards, is an amazing songwriter in her own right. And Paul Thibodeau. Um, and then a lot of this music you can't hear when I perform it solo, but I've recorded a, a solo album. I'm putting quotations around solo. Um, I've recorded a solo album, a lot of this music, but it's, a, um, it's much bigger than what you're hearing now. So there's like four part vocal harmonies on a lot oh, of stuff awesome. and, and sort of different. Um, harmonies that are going through so um yeah it's not party like I was saying it's not really party music it's more like sit and listen and feel your feelings or feel someone else's feelings music but I would I if I can get it together I would love to tour with it and play concerts Berlin you know? New York sure Berlin New York I mean <laughs> I I listen to like when I go to concerts of like Will Oldham or Joanna Newsom or those kind of con you know it's like those shows where people are really listening to the music because this is m music in my humble opinion that really only works if people listen to it but it you're not going to miss the bachelor parties of Frenchmen come on <laughs> of course come on. <laughs> you know I can always Pop back in. I'm gonna make you come back here with Royal Roses. Definitely, I love the Royal Roses. I, just wrote, as I much. love the Royal Roses too. <laughs>
natural question, I think, you know, because you don't do much. I think the crowd recognizes you are lazy. You're yeah. so lazy. I try. Um, Living but, in the big easy. <laughs> how do you do, how do you juggle the ability to do a lot of different projects, do them well, and not spread yourself too thin? And, and do the job you want to do of them. Well, I don't. <laughs> in a lot of ways. I mean, I do feel that I spread myself too thin, but I also think I'm just in a phase of trying to figure out how to not spread myself too thin. So, or what you want to invest in more. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, bit, a big part of it is I think it's important for me as a musician or an artist um, to keep this balance of you know different kind of projects and different kind of music feeds different sides of our personality and of our expressiveness and what we want to be contributing to the world or um so a big part of it for me it's it's like really original music is very important to me um and it's important to support that and other people and it's important for me to continue writing it even when I have like self-doubts about like this is horrible (laughs) why am I doing this I should just go play you know, I'll just go play on Frenchman Street the rest of my life and <laughs> play traditional jazz. And I love that music, and that's beautiful, but it's also, this is what, partly what keeps me sane, I guess, is to know that I'm also working on something original that I want to contribute. Which leads me to the next question, and kind of something that resonates in, in I think, a lot of folks' lives who've moved to New Orleans recently mm-hmm. is... A lot of your projects um, are not traditional New Orleans music. And, you know, you might be, you know, more frequently that this room would be crowded with, you know, people dying to get in here to listen to Monocle and not the Royal Roses in places like New York or Paris or Berlin or other places um, which where it sounds like you actually have. Um, some roots. Why? Why New Orleans? Oh gosh, that's a big question. I mean, I I love it here. I well, a I don't know that it would be crowded. <laughs> I don't know that it would be a crowded room anywhere else. But also, I've I've been told you've people been t- would just <laughs> kill uh, each other. Yeah. Get, but no, th- this is very much something I think that would have a very healthy audience and an in a lot of other places, a lot of other major cities. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they're... Well, first of all, I, I do love New Orleans. I think there, I mean, there's something amazing about how music is produced here, how music is integrated into the community, into the streets, into the everyday living. And that's like something very special that is not in a lot of other places. And so that definitely feeds my soul and also the community of musicians that's here are amazing you know so I mean that's also a a resource that you can't discount that there's amazing community musicians in New York for instance I I spend a handful of time up there and there's an amazing community of musicians up there also but it's harder just a lot of them are probably mean they're not mean (laughs) no they're really nice actually they're very humble technically like monsters that. they could like play circles around me you know but they're i lived in new york <laughs> old, old ladies on the subway were mean okay <laughs> but i'm talking about the other musicians in new york 
I mean, they have to be mean. You know, it's, a, it's a front for their delicate nature. I'm sure. I, I know everyone's nice deep in the inside, yeah. but... Yeah. <laughs> there's, I guess there's some, there's some hard people. Living in New York is hard. You know, it's like the big... I know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> the big cities, it's... I mean, New Orleans, There's some. that's what's something that's very special about the musical community here is like you, people are really excited to try new things and we also have this right now we have the space to do it you know we're not living all on top of each other it's generally acceptable to play music in a house during the daytime which you can't necessarily do in new york or paris or you know no you can you can practice there's music you know like music is a very accepted part of your daily life like you're gonna hear live music at some point even if you don't want to you know (laughs) so that's sort of like true that's an amazing thing that New Orleans has going for it. I, and I read somewhere, I can't remember where, did a lot of research on you, young lady. But, um, <laughs> you know, you said something that is related to this that resonates. Um, I think it sounds like you love New Orleans in many of the similar ways that I do, and many people who love New Orleans, and that music is so deeply integrated into the basic culture yeah. and the upbringing of children. Yeah. But there is something slightly frustrating about the maybe a fear that that would be lost if different things were introduced. Yeah, that is part of why I think original music is so important to me. There's a side of New Orleans where I can get very frustrated and I don't, sometimes I'm sort of like, oh, it's not valid for me to say these things because I've only been here 11 years and... You know, I, I'm not I'm not a New Orleanian. You didn't born go to high school raised. here, exactly. <laughs> but then I'm also like, whatever. I'm gonna say these things. I have thoughts, and there are times when I fear that New Orleans, like resting on its laurels, or just like guarding traditions with a sort of um, guardedness, is not healthy for the development of like. Is not healthy for fostering the survival the real live people that are living here today you know like i tend to think of like at some point new orleans music is what people that are living in new orleans and are dedicated to new orleans is the music that they're making so new orleans music definitely is like traditional jazz from the early 1900s and it's definitely like funk and r&b and it's all those things and it's also music that is being made right now in 2015 by young musicians or old musicians. That's also New Orleans music. And I think that's equally important to support that music. It's equally important to support that as the traditions that we support and revere. And Well, I think it's ironic, too, that a lot of these traditions formed from at a time in New Orleans where the it was an incredibly economically relevant city and yeah. a lot of people were passing through and the musicians were heavily influenced by outsiders and also traveling. Right. And so then we, it seems like sometimes some people decide that that's, that is the definition of New Orleans. Right. And, it, and, it, and, and that's what we should listen to. And there are other people, plenty of musicians, who kill that genre and, and master it and love when people move here and want to play that and other stuff too. Right. And I th- I think there can be a danger especially with traditional music. You probably experienced this with old time music also, but there's a danger with traditional music when people put it in a box <laughs> and they don't let it live, right. you know? It's like 
You didn't play you it don't the want to way be a museum piece. Yeah. played it. Like, I'm right. not here to be a museum piece. I love Sidney Bechet. I've done tribute concerts to Sidney Bechet. But I don't want to be a Sidney Bechet re- recreationist. I want to learn a lot of things that I can learn from him, and I want to revere him, and I want to play his repertoire and tell people about it. But I don't want to be him. That's Perhaps not... it wouldn't be respecting him if you tried to yeah. emulate him exactly. Right. And also the spirit of that music, the spirit of a lot of this music is this, a lot of that music came because people were innovating and trying new things, you know? So I think it's dangerous when we sort of like put a strong lock hold on our traditions, especially in a place that is so vibrant and there's so many people mixing and so many people trying new things in New Orleans. Like this a place, Tassology. Like this place, which is beautiful. You can't see it. These owners over the sound waves, but it's amazing. Are so amazing that they've got to be crazy. It's the true. owners, <laughs> Gary and Elizabeth Ekman, have like created the most beautiful place. It's gorgeous. I'm gonna try to produce events here. Well, there you go. In the future, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's amazing. No, I, I absolutely am with you, and I, and I will enter you more on the tragedy stuff when you bring the rose the roses back. Great. Um, but I also want to hear about the Dusty Music Project. I tried to get in, young lady. You sent me a text. They wouldn't sell me a ticket. No. And I, I learned from someone else that they tried three times to see that project. So Whoa. it sounded fascinating. I hope it comes back. But share with us. And this is definitely part of what I think is New Orleans culture of bringing people from all over the world um, to play music. So yeah. let us know what what was that about? That uh, Dosti Music Project was a um, an exchange that um, I had started this organization with my friend Lisa Giordano, who's a great music organizer and producer. Um, and the organization is called Sound Observatory New Orleans, and we um, have sort of a mission to support new and original music coming to New Orleans. Um, and Dosti Music Project was a collaboration between uh, 10 Indian and Pakistani musicians. So five musicians, four musicians from India, four from Pakistan, and two from the United States. So 10 musicians total. Um, and that Sono, the Sound Observatory New Orleans, worked in conjunction with my f- um, friends up in New York who have an amazing organization called Found Sound Nation. Um, and so we worked in conjunction with them to bring these eight musicians over from India and Pakistan and we um, they're all individual musicians so none of them none of us knew each other before and it was a month-long residency we were in Florida at the Atlantic Center for the Arts for two weeks um, developing all new material so we sort of all got put together in this mess and we're sort of like you know it was beat makers from Pakistan and India and traditional Sarod and Sarangi players a tabla player a classical Indian singer, a more kind of pop-oriented Pakistani singer, um, another percussionist who played uh, cajon and drums. Um, Yeah, and then myself and a really fabulous um, fiddle player from the West Coast, Tatiana Hargreaves, was also there. So we sort of got mashed together and we developed all this new material. And then um, Sound Absorbed... New Orleans brought them here to New Orleans for a nine-day residency um, where we hosted them and they did or we did um, 
concerts at the Tigerman's Den. We did some outreach to um, with dancing grounds and to some of the local schools. And then we did a concert at Snug Harbor. <laughs> you have that is for artists in residency the the organization is related to that space we're having issues with the space with totally getting the space right now so um we're having issues with the city yeah and yeah. with this crazy real estate shark <laughs> so we're actually we actually yeah, we're, we're in a lawsuit oh, us in combination with a handful of our neighbors are in a lawsuit against this crazy real estate shark guy oh. so it's an abandoned building right now that we're we've been hoping to acquire, but right now we're just sort of acting. The, the dream is to have a physical space where we can host national and international artists where they can come to New Orleans, stay in a residency, have a workspace for themselves, and be able to interact with the community for a month or however long they, they propose a project for. Awesome. Um, so that's the dream. But right now we're just operating separately just as the organization and um, putting on projects outside of the space. Great. Do you want to share with us any future projects that you have in the works? Um, well, the Monocle has an album Great. <laughs> um, that I'm very excited about. It's sort of, it's the Monocle is like when you do anything for yourself, it sort of always gets pushed to the back burner because I have so many other projects that involve other people so the, it's it's hard for me to finish this album but I'm very proud and excited about there's six tracks that are recorded um, and there'll be four more that I'll be working on this summer cool. um, I'll be up in New York City for a chunk of the summer so there'll be four more tracks and so hopefully that album will be out in the spring and I'm excited about it I'm really proud of it and Hope you'll come back and share it with us yeah. when it's ready. Yeah, I would love to. And other than that, just a lot of projects. <laughs> you have a website. So people I have can a website. What is the website? It is <laughs> www.auroraneeland.com. Before I let you go, before I let you free, I'm yeah. going to let the audience interrogate you. Okay. Okay, hi, Aurora. Hi, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, when are you next um, going to be touring or doing something internationally? I guess that's my next my question. Oh, she wants to go to Alaska. I hear. I want to go to Alaska. <laughs> I I almost went to Alaska to wash buses when I was nineteen <laughs> in Denali State Park. For uh -huh. like, you like wash buses for like ten hours a day, four days a week, and then you have three days off. And I ended up not doing that, but I've been dreaming about doing it ever since. I think you'll probably do She's something been, cooler than washing buses. Well, that, She's been trying time. to steal your tour. I'm trying to steal your oh. Or you could hire me. But other than that, <laughs> she has other a clarinet player. Other um, internationally, I don't have huge... Well, I actually have this very bizarre... This is probably not interesting for a podcast. I have this... I may go play with Tim Robbins' band at the Leon really? Shakespeare Festival. As in the actor. Yeah. Very sweet. He was here filming the green... 
Something. Something. Lantern Hornet. Lantern you Hornet. better learn <laughs> before you start yeah. playing with <laughs> Um But that is a very, ran- very strange random thing. That is international. Does he play? What does he play? He plays guitar and he has a Ish. Ish. Yeah. Maybe don't put this on the podcast. Anyway, that is a very strange thing in life that happens. So that might be five days. But but generally speaking, I'm not going anywhere internationally, but I am. the Royal Roses are coming up to New York. Oh, cool. Um, we're going to play at Lincoln Center on July 1st for the Midsummer Night awesome. Swing. Awesome, yeah. And I'm excited about that. It's a great event. And then we're going to tour up to New Hampshire to play at the old... I used to teach composition at this um, school for young composers um, called the Walden School up in New Hampshire. So we're going to play a concert there and a couple places around your area, Vermont and um, New Hampshire, Vermont. So I'm excited about that. It's it's planning tours are is hard. She's looking at me. I'm looking at Kim because she does it very successfully. She's looking at Milo, the dog. I'm looking at Milo. (laughs) Well, the world definitely needs to hear a couple of things you're working on. We are excited to have you here at Mon- the Monocle here, and we're gonna have you back as Monocle and then some. Yeah, please do. I'll get it worked out. But thank you for having me. It's it's beautiful to play music in a listening space to the, all these great people. Sound. Great sound. Well, thank you so much for for coming on. We are gonna close up here. Let you go. Okay. Thanks for listening to Milo's Music Parlor. Thanks so much for joining us at home, at work, on your phone, wherever you are, and whatever you're doing. This has been a production of It's New Orleans and Milo Records New Orleans and sponsored by WTUL. And a special thanks to today's guest, Aurora Nealon and Monocle. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Our show today was produced by Kim Voodin and Taylor Smith. Our technical director is Taylor Smith. Our logistics director is Mark Tobler. Our theme song was composed by Taylor Smith and performed by the Roman Jasmine. Milo's Music Parlor was recorded today at Tassology Art Cafe, located on the historic O.C. Haley Boulevard in New Orleans. For more information on how to attend one of our live performances, check us out at www.milorecordsneworleans.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter at It's New Orleans. You can like us on Facebook. We're at It's New Orleans. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can listen to our other Milo Music Parlor shows on our website, itsneworleans.com, as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Out to Lunch, Mindset, True the Game, Midnight Menu Plus One, and Louisiana Eats. Milo's Music Parlor is produced by INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and Milo Records New Orleans. For everyone here at Milo's Music Parlor, thanks for joining us today.
Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees. 